Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Hey listeners, thanks for checking us out today. We're so happy that you've decided to join us for another episode. We spend so much time warming up without you guys listening. It's pretty incredible. My cheeks are already (laughs) sore from laughing and we haven't even started today's case. (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. So the case today is what nightmares are truly made of. How many of you listeners have ever gone hunting? It's hunting season right now in a lot of places and it's a popular sport in Canada where we're from. It's a sport where husbands make their wives get their hunting licenses. Well, some husbands, like (laughs) Melissa. Yeah, that's what my husband did. Yeah. So on the flip side of that, how many of you have ever been hunted? Oh, hopefully nobody. Dun, dun, dun. Hopefully no one. That would be so freaky, though. Yeah. Well, buckle up, ladies and gentlemen, because that's today's case. The killer we'll be discussing today was an avid, award-winning hunter who turned his love of the hunt from big game to helpless women. Oh, that's a big switch from Mm -hmm. hunting, like... What, elephants and giraffes? Uh, well, no, he's not in Africa, but... <laughs> <laughs> but that's when you say big game, like I'm thinking of a family member that went to Africa. Isn't big game like moose and like elk and chicken? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking Canadian. Okay, Canadian. Even though this okay. isn't in Canada, but when I think of hunting, I think I don't automatically go to an elephant. <laughs> that's big. You crazy lady. Okay, so that's a big stretch then to go from bighorn sheep or moose to a person. Oh, absolutely. But it was in the works from the very beginning. The definition of the word hunt is to pursue and kill for sport or food. And pursue and kill for sport is exactly what he does. Oh, creepy. We will investigate the life of this serial killer and how he evolved into making this dramatic switch in the sport. These murders take place in Alaska a vast place that was an earthly oasis for the sadistic dirtbag, but a terrifying hell on earth for his victims where no one could hear their screams. Oh yeah, it would be like the perfect place for somebody to murder a whole bunch of people. Yeah. And Melissa was telling me how Alaska is one of the top places in the world for disappearances. Yeah, it is. There's an actual Alaskan triangle where thousands of people actually go missing. Don't they say it's like UFOs and stuff? Yeah. And murders. Yeah. Well, this guy did his part in adding to those missing. And I just want to say, stay with us until the end of today's case, because the sentence he receives for his crime is quite honestly the best thing I have ever heard. You're going to want to hear it. So the best in that getting what you have coming to you, or was it that he just got away with it? I'm not telling you. You got to listen to the end. If the listeners have to wait, so do you, Melissa. (laughs) I only learn when you guys learn. That's true. 
Robert Christian Hansen was born on February 15, 1939, in Esterville, Iowa, to Christian and Edna Hansen. He was their only child, and he was often called Bob. Robert's father was a Danish immigrant who opened a bakery after entering the USA. Growing up, Robert was forced to work long hours in his father's bakery and ended up developing quite the skill for it. Robert's father was reportedly an extremely strict disciplinarian. He did not have a good relationship with Robert. It was very strained. Robert was exceptionally shy growing up, and he struggled with self-esteem. He was a quiet loner. Well, when you have a dad that's overly critical, it is hard to develop self-esteem. Definitely. It was to the extreme, from what I read. As a youth, he had severe acne that left him with permanent scars all over his face. Later in life, Robert recalled his adolescence face as one big pimple. He was scrawny, and he suffered from a really bad stutter. Robert was naturally left-handed, but his father forced him to use his right hand, and the stress from this just aggravated his stuttering. So he had a really hard time talking. Oh, and interestingly, the stutter is one of those serial killer um, characteristics that not a lot of people know about. So they go to the big three of like the bedwetting and the fire starting and the head injury, but stuttering is on the list. Yeah. And this was definitely something that he struggled with. So needless to say, the boys in his school bullied and teased him relentlessly and the girls wanted nothing to do with him. Oh, that makes for a very, very lonely school life. And that is what he experienced. Being rejected from all the girls he found attractive in school caused a hatred and resentment towards them. And Robert began having cruel fantasies of revenge towards them. Just the girls, not the guys? Just the girls. Because they turned him down. They wanted nothing to do with him. But the guys were mean to him and actually teased him. But he was lonely and he really wanted that someone special to share his life with. Going back to those sexual perversities. After being arrested, Robert blamed his psychopathy to unfulfilled sexual desires because of his acne and stuttering as a teenager. Who called it sexual perversities? That's right. He said later, quote, going back in my life, I was, I guess what you might call very frustrated. I would see my friends and so forth going out on dates and so forth and had a tremendous desire to do the same thing. From the scars and so forth on my face, you can probably see, I could see why girls wouldn't want to get close to me. During my junior high or high school days, I could not control my speech at all. I was always so embarrassed and upset with it from people making fun of me that I hated the word school. Oh, I can see that. You know what I was wondering when I read this? He says, and so forth a few times. Is that a trick for helping with stuttering? Like if you're about to stutter to put in something like that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. As a refuge and way to deal with his teenage stresses, Robert learned the sport of hunting and became very good at it. As a social outcast, he enjoyed spending time alone. Hunting was the perfect pastime. He would channel his rage and revengeful fantasies into the act of stalking and killing animals. Terrifyingly, this would one day escalate to the horrific act of hunting women. Well, you can definitely see how it's beginning then. If that's where he's taking his frustrations out on animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an easy step then the next time to actually take out those frustrations on the thing that's causing the frustrations. Exactly. When Robert was 18 in 1957, he joined the United States Army Reserve. It was said he hoped it would help him leave his troubled childhood behind him. So like a fresh start. Oh, that's always a bad sign. That's one of those other triggers. the military. That's true. He served for one year and later worked as an assistant drill instructor at a police academy in Pocahontas, Iowa. So why did he leave? Was he dishonorably discharged? It just said that. No, there was no report of that. No. 
He met a girl there who was quite a bit younger than him. They fell in love, and in 1960, they got married. So he'd be 21 at that time, and reportedly she was a teenager, but I'm not sure her exact age. He had to woo her with his age. You're likely right. Robert was trying to make a new life, but he felt so mistreated by the community. In 1960, at the age of 21, he reportedly forced or convinced a 16-year-old employee from the bakery to help him burn down the Pocahontas County Board of Education school bus garage to the ground. Anything to do with school was a big trigger for him, and this was like revenge on school. And there's another check mark for arson. Yep, I was just going to put that oh, right, that's right next. No, that's great, because that's right next to my notes, that arson is one of the tried and true markers of an emerging serial killer. So of that trifecta of serial killers, and he fit this bill perfectly. The other boy involved in the arson confessed to the police, and Robert was arrested. He was given a three-year jail sentence, but he only served 20 months before being released on parole. While incarcerated, he was assessed by a psychiatrist as having an infantile personality marked by childlike hysteria, volatile emotions, and clingy fixations on others, and was obsessed with getting back at people who had wronged him. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and at that time it was called manic depressive, with periodic schizophrenic episodes. How do you have periodic schizophrenia? I don't know. So maybe so he was having like hallucinations or sure. maybe he was super paranoid. He was rageful. That we know for sure. Are you looking at up? Yeah. Cause that doesn't, um, 20% is periodic. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, there you learn something new every day, listeners. Sometime during the 20 months he served, his wife divorced him, leaving him once again all alone. And this likely didn't help his resentment towards women. They were reportedly married for only about six months. Ouch. He was jailed a few more times after this for petty thefts. However, he managed to marry another local woman in 1963. So not long after he got out of prison. I wonder what that dating relationship was like. Well, I think he went after younger women. Because they would have been he, more vulnerable. Yeah, definitely. In 1967, he decided that he wanted to get as far away as he could from Iowa and moved with his wife and their two small children to Anchorage, Alaska. That's really far. Mm-hmm. He was really leaving that behind. Mission accomplished. Yep. Once in Anchorage, he opened a small bakery like his father had owned. It was in a strip mall at 9th Avenue and Ingra Street. They lived in a small community on the edge of town, and it didn't take long for this quiet baker to become well-liked and respected in the area. They saw him as a good family man who opened a small bakery to support his family. Some say the police even frequented his bake shop and thought he was a great guy. So he had a squeaky clean image. <laughs> Why is that funny? Because are you throwing out the police and the donuts? They didn't say donuts. They said some of the police frequented his shop. So they were familiar with him. Okay. And this will play in actually into the case. Oh, because they know him personally. They go to his bake shop and maybe they have donuts. That's a stereotype here in Canada. Is that a stereotype? Elsewhere Other in the world? I don't know. Yeah. There's always a police car at a Tim's. <laughs> but we love our police. And they deserve those dang donuts they if they do. want them. That is interesting, though. If he was friends with the police, then it probably made it harder for them to see him as a suspect. And that is going to play into this yeah. case for sure. And total dual personality. Yeah. Right. And I don't know if necessarily they were friends, but... They liked him. He was quiet. He was well-mannered. He was this hardworking guy. They he thought he was just this great yeah, community member. He seemed like a stand-up citizen. They thought he was. Once in Anchorage, the amazing landscape gave him ample hunting opportunities. His hunting skills only increased. He was an exceptional marksman with both a rifle and a bow. Well, there's lots of big game there. <laughs> I wonder how many giraffes. 
<laughs> no elephants. Though. <laughs> Soon his home was filled with trophy animal mounts. He had lots of those animal heads like all over his house. That always so creeps me out. When it's an excessive amount, absolutely. No, even when it's like just one. I think sometimes I one is worse than an obsessive amount. <laughs> I grew up with some of them. So it doesn't really like bother me, but not what I would have in my home for no. sure. He broke numerous hunting records, including records for doll sheep and grizzlies, earning him local publicity. So this is another thing oh. adding to his repertoire in the community. Four of his hunting records were even recorded in the Pope and Young's book of world hunting records. Nice. Mm-hmm. So he had some skill. He definitely did. How terrifying for his victims. <laughs> oh, yeah. You have no chance when yeah. he's this skilled huntsman. And I will just put in a little note here that eventually those records were removed from the world record book after his conviction years later. They decided, nope, they stripped him of those titles. Because nobody wants to have a murderer in their record book, right? Yeah, look how good he is at hunting. And then you find all this out. They didn't at first, but it took a while and then they finally took him out of the book, which I think he should have been. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This guy, usually I can have some kind of understanding or sympathy for our killers that we're talking about like just understanding not sympathy but understanding them but this guy is just dirtbag he just gets under my skin dirtbag to the core that's right the dirtbag of all dirtbags robert took flying lessons and bought a piper cub which is a small private plane and he would use it on his hunting expeditions oh wow so he's hardcore into the hunting how cool though yeah but not for these women no, not for the women, but I'm thinking like, <laughs> that'd be pretty awesome. Like I know we go camping and I enjoy the trailer, but how much more awesome would a plane be? Oh yeah. And especially because Alaska, a lot of the good hunting areas were harder to get to. You couldn't just drive up there. So a lot of it was by boat or plane. So you can to go to the to... really remote areas. Yeah. Which was perfect for him. Oh, scary. Like I said, no one could hear their screams. By the 1970s, things were starting to change in Alaska. An 800-mile oil pipeline began to be constructed. This provided a lot of work and brought wealthy construction workers to Anchorage. And the wealthy construction workers brought lots of women to the area as well. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Anchorage. Like, sorry, women like their wives or women like sex trade workers? Yeah, well, apparently a lot of women came flocking because these became rich men working on this oil field. Lonely rich men. Yeah, so if you couldn't snag one of them as a husband then a lot of the women unfortunately got into the sex trades oh that's unfortunate Mm -hmm. and even more unfortunate since he chooses to hunt them they become easy prey for him oh so now that we've led into that anchorage soon had an abundance of sex workers pimps drug dealers and con artists all wanting a piece of the money that was being earned by the workers many would come to anchorage and leave just as fast making it hard for authorities to keep track if missing people were in fact missing or had just skipped town oh and that's maybe one of the reasons why anchorage has this huge rate of disappearances well that's what i was wondering yeah because they do talk about how it was hard to know it's not just the aliens but it could be the aliens <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting story right there <laughs> do, 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 do. oh Throughout this time, Robert was still considered a model father and hardworking businessman, hiding the dark side of himself as the most active serial killer in Alaskan history at that time. Wow. Dual personalities. It's always shocking to me about when these killers can maintain that other personality or that other life that I'm just fine. I'm baking your bread and bringing home the money. And then on the other side, everybody thinks he's going hunting for a weekend, but really he's like torturing women. 
yeah. and killing them. And he just hit it so perfectly. And he's so quiet that he's not talking a whole lot and people aren't being suspicious so of him at all. quiet ones you have to be wary of. Yeah. You quiet ones, we're watching you. <laughs> Things start to escalate in 1971-1972, resulting in Robert being arrested twice. First for attempting to rape a housewife who was able to escape him, and second for raping a sex worker who was not so fortunate. He pled no contest to assault with a deadly weapon in the offense involving the housewife. The rape charges involving the sex worker were dropped as part of his plea deal. So he wasn't charged with rape, just assault with a weapon. That's awful. And it always seems to be that the charges for rape against the sex workers get dropped as part of the plea. They're never actually the ones that get followed through on. Yeah. And that plays a role in this one too. And Robert has the mindset that, you know, can you really rape a sex worker? He doesn't believe that you really can. Oh. Yeah. He doesn't really see them as human. Like I said, he's terrible. So for his charge of assault with a deadly weapon, he was sentenced to a five-year prison term. However, he served only six months and was placed on a work release program and released to a halfway house. Was that because he was such an upstanding citizen? Yeah. And he's just this quiet, keep to himself kind of guy. So he probably made no hassle when incarcerated. Wow. It didn't say why, but he only served six months. That is not long enough. Definitely not. In 1976-1977, Robert was imprisoned yet again, this time for stealing a chainsaw from a Fred Meyer store in Anchorage. He pled guilty to this charge of larceny. He again was sentenced to five years in prison and was required to undergo psychiatric treatment for his bipolar disorder, which they had previously diagnosed. They prescribed lithium to control his mood swings, but he was never officially ordered or it wasn't at least enforced for him to take the medication. As the result of an appeal, the Alaskan Supreme Court reduced his sentence to time served, which at that time was only about a year. So once again, he was released. They said his sentence was too harsh. Five what? years for five years for stealing a chainsaw. That does seem actually a little bit harsh since she got five years for assault with a deadly weapon and rape. Those charges got dropped Ugh. as part of his plea deal. What is infuriating about this is that these releases turned out to be a giant mistake as he was actively killing women during the time that he should have been in jail. And if he was in jail, he wouldn't have been able to kill those women. So was he killing women when he committed these other crimes too? Like this whole time he's still committing murder. They just haven't caught him with it. He starts killing right during the first jail time, like 1971, 72, that time. Yeah. So he starts killing in 1971 when he attempts those rapes. And so if he had been in jail for that five years, and then in 1976, five years later, when he stole the chainsaw, if he was in jail for that five years, that 10-year span was the majority of his 12-year killing spree. Oh, wow. So he kills between 1971 and 1983, and he should have been in jail for the majority of that time. But that means that when he went up on those larson charges, he was already murdering people and they didn't connect him to it. Oh, yeah. He was well into it by then. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And those first charges, he was just getting started. So maybe if he had been incarcerated for that full five years instead of just six months, then it wouldn't have. Maybe it wouldn't have escalated into this. I don't know. Wow. So now that we have a little bit of a background, we're going to get into the nitty gritty. We'll get into the abductions, the rapes and the murders. So brace yourself. Like I said, Robert Hansen goes on a 12-year killing spree. He is known to have raped and assaulted over 30 women and to have murdered at least 17, ranging in ages between 16 and 41, and authorities believe that he killed many more. As the red light district on 4th Avenue in Anchorage grew, Robert had an endless supply of victims. He targeted sex workers and exotic or topless dancers. He felt like they were worthless once they offered sexual acts for exchange of money. 
They were a perfect target. A lot of them wouldn't be reported as missing. The ones that were reported as missing, police wouldn't know if they were missing or had just left since it was such a transient place at the time. Yeah, the perfect environment for him to do these things. Oh, everything lined up so perfectly for him. He had the best cover. He had the hunting grounds. He had the victims. And is he still with his wife? Yeah. So his wife stayed with him through all the convictions. Yeah. Even though she knew he had assaulted a housewife and raped a sex worker that he said was a rape. Yeah. I don't know how much she was involved in that, how much she knew because that charges were dropped. I don't know what story he gave her, but yeah, she stays with him. Well, he did spend time in jail. So she knew (laughs) like something was up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. First wife left right away. She stays with him the whole time and honestly does not have any idea to the extent of what he's doing. Oh, he hit it all really well then. Mm hmm. He frequented clubs like Wild Cherry, Arctic Fox, Booby Trap, and the Great Alaskan Bush Company. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you'd like these. That one is awesome. (laughs) The Great Alaskan Bush Company is actually still in operation from what I heard. Just moved to a different area now. I have to search that up because that is a wicked name. (laughs) This is going to look really weird on my search history. (laughs) Our search histories already are so damning. Oh, it comes up like right (laughs) Yeah, so it is still in operation. Uh, it's open until 6 p.m. tonight. Oh, there you go. I don't know if the Wild Cherry Arctic Fox or the Booby Trap are still open, but the Great Alaskan Bush Company held strong. The Booby Trap. That's awesome. The Booby Trap, yeah. No, this is by far my favorite one. I thought that you would like that. Yeah. I knew. I was bracing myself waiting for your response. <laughs> the Great Alaskan Bush Company. Crime in general was skyrocketing in the area. So speaking of the booby trap, between 1979 and 1983, police responded to 207 disturbances in that time alone just at the booby trap. Wow. Mm -hmm. So police are busy too. There's so much going on. Crime is rampant. Well, and you've got all that money circulating then, right? It's the gold rush. Oh, yeah. And so money and a whole bunch of criminals, that's that's a good combination. It's a deadly combination. Robert discovered that women who worked in this red light district would go anywhere with him for about 300 bucks. By looking at him, women didn't feel very threatened. One rape victim later described him saying, he sort of looked like a perfect dork. However, once he got a woman into his vehicle, he turned from the innocent looking nerd into a dark and twisted monster. Sometimes he would let a rape victim go if he was convinced that she wasn't going to tell the police. If she behaved and did everything that he told them to do, he let them go. If they did not cooperate, they suffered a horrible fate. So the ones that cooperated, he always let them go or that was his like pretense of just sometimes. to get them to behave? Yeah, sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. Yeah. Because he does rape over 30 women wow. along with the 17 that he murders. So those ones he's let go. Oh, that would be a hard decision to make. Do you go along with him and just keep quiet or do you... Well, normally you, you fight, know, fight, to fight, 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 fight. And yeah. the women that did fight were murdered. Oh, Most of the rapes weren't even ever reported. And if they were, his respectable position in the community always overseeded the sex worker's version of events. So I guess he was pretty good at gauging if they were going to tell or not, because most of them didn't. Well, and if they're not going to be believed if they report anyway, why but even bother? Right. And it seemed like at that time that sex workers were not high on the police's priority list. As Robert's position in the community continued to rise, so did the body count. During his killing spree, Robert had a very specific MO which is modus operandi, which means a particular way or method of doing things. So he's very ritualistic. He's very ritualistic. He would pick up a woman and offer her money for sexual acts. Once in his car, he would hold them at gunpoint and take them to his cabin where he would brutally rape and torture them, often repeatedly. 
He would then usually take them in his plane to a remote area, strip them naked, and give them a head start before beginning to hunt them down like wild game. And sometimes he would let them run around chasing them in the wilderness in false hope for hours or even up to a couple of days before hunting them down and shooting or stabbing them to death. That would be awful. So there he's getting more of that excitement. It's not just easy. Let them go and shoot them. He would sometimes for days let them run around. It makes you think of those animals that catch mice in the field. We have a dog that catches mice and he will hold it in his mouth and then let it go between his two paws and then swat it with his paws to catch it in his mouth again. Like he totally... They play, our cat does that. We'll yeah. play with them. Plays and tortures it. It's awful. And you have such a sweet dog. Who I knew? Know. Is his name Robert Hansen? <laughs> his weapons of choice were a two twenty three caliber Ruger Mini 14 rifle and a hunting knife. The hunting knife seems so much scarier than the gun. Oh, a knife is way more brutal. Yeah. After hunting down and viciously killing his victim for sport, Robert would mark the spot of the kill and burial of each of his victims on an aviation map that he owned and hid behind his headboard with a big X. Well, that'll come in handy for evidence later. Oh, it does. It plays a big part. He would also take a piece of jewelry as a trophy to be able to relive the experience, which makes sense because he had animal trophies on his walls of the animals he shot and killed. And so he also had hidden trophies from the women he brutally murdered hidden in his home. But could you imagine him hiding those trophies like out in the open and like giggling every time he goes by them because nobody else really realizes what they're there for? No, I can't even imagine. But he had them hidden. He was careful. Mm -hmm. But I did think about the placement of the aviation map right on his headboard. Like, did he look at that headboard and think about that every time he was intimate with his wife? Yeah, that's how he got off. Yeah, I'm sure. It would have added to it because he would be thinking about all those different spots, all those different women. And so because he was so careful, that's why he was able to go undetected for 12 years until 1983. Wow. So I'm going to go through a timeline of the known or suspected victims, and then we'll go into more details of the case of his final victim, the one who got away and ultimately led to his arrest. Good for her. I'll take just a few minutes to do this, but I feel like it's worth mentioning their names. This is hard. Well, it is hard because you don't want to gloss over the victims, but at the same time, we would be here for hours if we went into one individually, especially when he does the same thing or has a very, very similar pattern with each one. And that's why I chose to do it this way. I just kind of described how he does it because all of them meet the same fate. But I just did want to mention their names and where their bodies were found, that type of a thing. Mm -hmm. So the first one is Cecilia or Beth Van Zanten. She was 17 and went missing December 22nd, 1971. She was found three days later on Christmas Day. Hansen denies killing her, but her body was discovered in the exact spot as one of the X's on his kill map. What a horrific thing for that family to have to go through every Christmas now. Oh, yeah. To have it associated with a big holiday. That's awful. Right. And I don't know if how estranged or how close she was to her family. She was 17 and already a sex worker. Wow. All of these women. I didn't put down what each of them did, but they were either sex workers or exotic dancers, topless dancers, that type of thing. Because that's what he preyed on. Megan Siobhan Emmerich was also 17. She went missing July 7th, 1973. Robert denies again killing her, but she was also discovered on the kill map with an ex. Maybe he shouldn't have left a map with X's marked on it if he was going to deny them all. He doesn't deny them all. And I talk about why he denies some. Okay. Mary Kathleen Phil was 22 years old and went missing on July 5th, 1975, and was again denied by Robert, but her body was found on the map. Now, Horseshoe Harriet was never identified, so she was given that name. 
She was around 19 or 20 years old. Investigators believed she was killed in the late 1970s or early 1980s. Her body was found in April of 1984. Why did she get the name Horseshoe Harriet? Um, There's Horseshoe Lake there. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was found close to that. And they just wanted the alliteration, so named her Harriet? Or was her name Mm -hmm. actually Harriet? No, she was never identified. Okay. Yeah. So instead of Jane Doe, she got Horseshoe Harriet. Yeah. And same with our next victim. She's also never identified. And so they gave her the name Eklutna Annie. She was determined to be between 16 and 25. Her death took place sometime between November 1979 and June 1980. She had been stabbed in the back, so obviously was running away from him while he was hunting her. Her body was discovered by construction workers in a shallow grave off Eklutna Lake Road, hence the name. Okay. Her body had been partially eaten by wild animals, making it impossible to identify her. Police made a facial reconstruction and widely publicized it, but no one ever knew who she was, still to this day. Oh, and they a, still publicize it. It's sad when victims aren't claimed. Yeah, even just to know who they are. Yeah. Roxanne Eastland was 24. She went missing June 28, 1980. Robert confessed to killing her, but her body was never found. Joanna Messina was also 24. She went missing early July 1980 and was found later that month. Her body was badly decomposed in a gravel pit with little evidence left to help the investigators. Lisa Futrell was 41. She disappeared on September 6, 1980 and was found on May 9, 1984. Her body was just south of Old Nick Bridge. Sherry Morrow was 23 and disappeared on November 17, 1981. Her body was found by hunters on September 12, 1982. She was found in a shallow grave on the bank of Nick River, which was a favorite spot of Robert's, which borders Anchorage. She was shot in the back three times, again indicating that she was running away from him. Cartridges were found by her body, suggesting that she had been shot with a 223 Ruger Mini-14 hunting rifle. There were no bullet holes in her clothing, which suggested that Robert hunted and shot her while she was nude, and then dressed her before burying her. Oh, I'm just thinking, why bother? He has so little regard for them as human beings. He's treating them like animals. Why bother putting your clothes back on? I don't know. It's just a weird thing to do. So Andrea, or Fish Altieri, was 22 and went missing December 2nd, 1981. Robert confessed to killing her, but her body was never found. So he seemed to be playing with the police by confessing to killing women whose bodies they wouldn't find and denying killing some of the bodies that they would find. So I think he's just playing mind games. Well, he's definitely messed up in the head. Oh, definitely. He's a piece of work. Sue Luna was 23. She disappeared May 26, 1982 and was found two years later on April 24th, 1984. She had also been stripped naked and forced to run through the forest like an animal while Robert hunted her. She was killed by gunshot. Delin, or Sugar, Frey was 20. Her body was found August 20th, 1985. Her body was found by a pilot testing new tires on the sandbar of the Nick River at Horseshoe Lake. Paula Golding was only 17. She went missing on the 25th of April, 1983, and was found on September 2nd of the same year. She was also found on the bank of the Nick River by hunters in a shallow grave. She too was shot in the back while naked and then redressed before being buried. So how far is the Nick River from his house? Well, he uses his plane to get there. Okay. So I'm like, is it a remote river? It sounds like he was always there. Yeah. You had to get there by plane or or boat. But it was an area known by other hunters, it seems like. Definitely. Yeah. It wasn't uncommon for them to have planes to go hunting. And so that didn't make him stand out either. Hmm. So these last few that I'm going to mention, there's less information for, but they were all suspected to have been murdered between 1980 and 1983, so near the end. Malai Larson was 28 and found in the parking area by Old Nick Bridge on April 24, 1984. 
Teresa Watson, whose age is unknown, was found April 26, 1984 at the Kenai Peninsula. Angela Federn was 24 and found at Figure 8 Lake on April 26, 1984. And lastly, Tamara or Tammy Peterson was 20 years old and was found on April 29, 1984, one and a half miles from Old Nick Bridge. Of these women, Robert Hansen was only charged with the murders of four, Sherry Morrow, Joanna Messina, Eklutna Annie, and Paula Golding. He was also charged with the kidnapping and rape of his final victim, who gets away. And we'll talk in detail about all of this, because I know you're going to have some questions. So he was only charged with four, but there just wasn't enough evidence for the other ones, but they know he did nope. it? Nope. I just said, we're going to talk about it. I'm not getting into it now and then tell you about it again later. Oh, I have to wait. <laughs> you have to wait. Yeah, so, so he impatient. gets charged with the four, plus gets charged with the other assaults the final for his victim. final victim. Yeah. But let me remind you before we go on that at this time, Robert was considered an upstanding member of the community. He was married and had two children. The police frequented his bakery and he came across as a quiet, gentle guy. What a dirtbag. Oh, so creepy. I seriously hate this one so much. Like he is the actual devil. He must have been so good at duping other people. Oh, yeah. Right. Because police are, well, they investigate things. So how did he pull the wool over their eyes that he know. had them all just totally convinced he was this good guy? No, nope, they're going to his bakery on a regular basis. Hey, Bob, how you doing? He's just Bob the Baker. Bob the Baker. <laughs> Not Bob the Builder, but Bob the Baker. Bob the Builder. <laughs> Bob the Baker. All right. This brings us to his final known victim, Cindy Paulson. She is a superhero in this story, in my opinion, and it is partly through her courageous acts that this sadistic killer is stopped and brought to justice. On June 13th, 1983, Robert Hansen offers a 17-year-old Cindy Paulson $200 to perform oral sex, and she accepts the offer. And first of all, she's only 17, just like a lot of his other victims, and it's so sad. And I'm wondering by this time, what are the ages of his children? They're yeah. probably similar ages, so how he can do this, I just can't even wrap my head around. That's a creepy thought. Yeah. When she's in the car, he pulls a gun on her and handcuffs her to the car. How come she only got 200? He offered her 200 for oral sex. Oh, okay. Yeah. All the other ones got 300, but she got 200. Well, I don't know what each of them got. He just realized that if you offer a woman 300, she'll go anywhere anywhere with with you. you. There was probably different rates for different sexual acts, I would assume. I did read, too, that he felt like oral sex was beneath his wife. And so he would never ask his wife to do that. So he would go to the prostitutes to have them do that for him. No ABCs in his house. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) He just felt like that was beneath her. And he felt like sex workers weren't really worth anything. So they could do it. That was their job. Yeah. So when she gets in the car, he does pull a gun on her and handcuffs her to the car. He proceeds to drive her to his house. Robert had sent his family away on a summer European vacation so he could hunt in peace. So was this the first time he'd ever used his house? I don't think so. I think sometimes he would send his family away on a nice vacation. He's being this nice dad. Here you guys go. You deserve this time. And then he was free to do whatever. Ooh, that just gives me the Mm heebie-jeebies. Yeah, his wife's probably calling him. How was your day? Not only that, you've been in a house or slept in a bed where there's been somebody murdered. And that was my next point, that at his house where his wife and his baby sleep, he holds Cindy captive, repeatedly raping, sodomizing, and torturing her. Cindy would tell police that Robert chained her by the neck to a post in his basement, which was filled with hunting trophies on the walls around her. Well, because animals wear collars, right? Yeah. After he was finished raping her, he left her chained to the post and took a nap on the couch nearby. No panic at all on his part. He was a seasoned killer. He just exerted himself. Yeah, he had exerted himself and needed a nap. So he took a nap. Oh, this guy just gets under my skin. When he finally awoke, he forced her into his car and took her to Merrill Field Airport where his private plane was. 
He told her he was going to take her to his cabin, which was like a shack in the Nick River area of the Matanuska Valley, only available by boat or bush plane. Cindy crouched down in the back seat of his car with her hands cuffed in front of her. Once they got to the airport, Robert left Cindy in the car to load things into the plane's cockpit. Cindy kicks off her blue sneakers in the back seat of the car to later prove that she was in there and decides that this is likely her one and only chance to escape. So smart and so brave. Once Robert turned his back towards her, Cindy plunges into the front seat and escapes out the driver's side door. Robert panics and starts yelling and chasing her. Can you even imagine? That would be awful. Yeah. And this is at the airport. Like, is there nobody else there? No. And I don't know what time of night this is. Like, I don't know. He just has his private plane there. She starts to run barefoot because she kicked off her sneakers and hands cuffed towards a nearby street, 6th Avenue, with Robert running right behind her. Cindy was able to make it to the street before Robert grabbed her, and luckily there was a truck going by at the same time. Cindy was able to flag the truck down, causing the driver to stop and pick her up. The driver, Robert Yunt, was shocked at what was happening. At her request, he dropped her off at the Mush Inn where she ran inside. Cindy asked the desk clerk to call her boyfriend for her. Not the police? No, her boyfriend. Oh, I guess there must have been a total distrust. Definitely. And she was 17 and we're not sure, was it her boyfriend? Was it her pimp who actually was it, but asked for her boyfriend? The truck driver continued on his way, but he was worried about the girl and decided to call the police to report that he had found a girl running barefoot and handcuffed on the road and that he had taken her to the mush inn. So bless him. Good upstanding citizen. The Anchorage Police Department officers go to the Mush Inn to investigate this 911 call. When they get there, the receptionist tells them that the woman took a cab to the Big Timber Motel. And I believe that her boyfriend or the possible pimp was supposed to be there. Police arrive at room 110 at Big Timber Motel and they find Cindy all alone, still handcuffed. She was taken to the station and gave a description of Robert Hansen. Robert is brought in for questioning, but tells the police that the girl is just trying to cause trouble and is lying because he had refused to pay her extortion demands after hiring her services, which is actually a brilliant defense. Yeah. It's so believable. Does he tell the police that, oh, the handcuffs are just part of the act? She could have put them on herself, right? She's just trying to extort him. Even though Robert had a prior history with breaking the law, he was mild mannered and was perceived as just a humble baker by the police. And his friend, John Henning, also secured him with a false alibi. And as a result, Robert is released and the case goes cold. Oh, no. Wonder how that friend feels afterwards. Oh, I know. And that's why I'm like, I'm going to put his name in there. (laughs) But no, John Henning, you covered for the wrong guy. Yeah. So the case does go cold, but just wait. This will still play into his arrest. So in walk the next two superheroes of this case, Detective Glenn Floth, An Alaska state trooper was part of an investigative team concerning the discovery of three female bodies in the surrounding areas. These bodies included Eklutna Annie, Joanna Messina, and Sherry Morrow. Floth suspected that they were all murdered by the same person. Floth decided to contact Federal Bureau of Investigation Special Agent John Douglas. And I don't know if you know who John Douglas is, but he is a rock star and a pioneer in criminal psychological profiling. Have you heard of him? Nope. Oh my gosh. You're going to love him. (laughs) I'm a big fan. Should I say that I do know him? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) So a side note, I read his book, The Killer Across the Table, and it was amazing. He is also the author of a lot of other books, including the bestseller Mindhunter, which there is also a Netflix show I believe about. He basically was one of the very first criminal profilers. 
criminal profiling is so fascinating to me. Oh yeah. And he was like a pioneer in it. Like he got it done. He has basically helped to create the whole profiling program for the FBI. Interesting. We could do an entire podcast series just on his career. So sorry, I'm totally fangirling, but I love John Douglas. So John Douglas compiles and provides them with a profile based on these three murder victims. This is his profile, not word for word, but it's remarkable. So this is what he says. He would be an experienced hunter. Check. He would have low self-esteem. Again, check. He would have a history of being rejected by women. Mm-hmm. He would feel compelled to keep trophies or souvenirs such as victims' jewelry. Yep. And he may have a stutter. What? What the heck? How did he know that one? I don't know. It's totally on the list, though. It's so fascinating to me. Like, how does he get it right down to the stutter? This is such an incredible science. He is literally like the real life criminal mind star. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, right down to the stutter. So fascinating. So after receiving this profile, Floth narrows down his suspect to the 44-year-old Robert Hansen. He fits the profile. He owned a plane, which would give him access to the remote spots that the bodies were found in. With the profile and Cindy's testimony, Floth and the Anchorage Police Department are able to get a warrant to search Robert's plane, vehicle, and home. Yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I'm just so excited about this state trooper Floth, too, because people weren't really admitting or wanting to really investigate that it was a serial killer and he was the one that kept pushing like this is done by the same guy yeah like we've got a dirt bag on our hands here he was actually paying attention yeah so that's why i just think they're both superheroes in this so over four months after cindy paulson's attack on october 27th 1983 authorities search the said property and find jewelry that belonged to some of the missing women and a large array of firearms hidden in the corner of robert's attic including the murder rifle they also find that aviation map that he had marked all the kills and bury spots of his victims with an X, which does help them find a lot of the victims' bodies, but not all of them. It just always is such a shocker to me that why would a serial killer who doesn't want to get caught leave such a perfect piece of evidence? Yeah, but Melissa, he's been doing this for 12 years. So he's... maybe it's actually for him to remember where the bodies are buried. Maybe. But I think he's feeling invincible at this time. It's total control. These women don't mean nothing. No one's looking for them because they're sex workers or they've left Anchorage as fast as they come. Right. And he's got to be feeling pretty confident. And he did get two five-year sentences and only spent a year and a half in prison for those two five-year sentences combined. Yeah, that's true. Right? When he should have spent 10. So he's probably not that afraid of the law either because they're always in his bakery. Yeah. So in Robert Hanson fashion, Robert denied everything at first. But once ballistics were able to match his gun to the killings, he began to confess. However, he started by blaming the victims, trying to justify his actions. Oh, what a dirtbag. And I think in his own mind that he really thought that he was justified. I think this was a belief system for him. He thought that he was the victim? Because he No, that he was justified in his actions. Okay. Yeah. If they were bad girls, they were inferior. And so it was okay to kill those ones. He said he couldn't help them identify the unknown victims because he said he didn't bother to learn their names. Oh, so like Harriet and Eklunta. But anyways, he didn't even bother to learn their names. There's just such a disregard for human life. Yeah. And choosing which ones he should have regard for and which ones he shouldn't. Based on his assigned social status. Yeah. Like these sexual acts were beneath his wife, but he could do all this stuff to these women because they didn't matter. Do you know who you're sleeping beside? Yeah. Do you know? Check behind your headboard, ladies. (laughs) Or men. Or men. (laughs) Mind you, now it would probably be digital. Yeah. 
I would assume. I don't know. I'm a paper girl. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe I'd have a printed map. What's on the GPS? That's right. Robert told police that his attacks on Alaskan women started in 1971, and his rape victims began with young girls ages 16 to 19. But then he turned to sex workers and topless dancers. He realized these were easier targets and wouldn't be as missed. So like I said earlier, he admitted to killing 17 women and raping more than another 30. He said he told the women that if they did what he said, they wouldn't get hurt. Robert describes to authorities one of his typical abductions, and this transcript was edited for space, but was originally published in Gilmore and Hale's book. And so I'm going to read it. He said, quote, I pull out the gun. I think the standard speech was, look, you're a professional. You don't get excited. You know, there's some risk to what you've been doing. If you do exactly what I tell you, you're not going to get hurt. You're just going to count this off as a bad experience and be a little more careful next time who you are going to proposition or go out with. You know, I've tried to act as tough as I could to get them as scared as possible. Give that right away. Even before I start talking at all, reach over, you know, and hold that head back and put a gun in her face and get him to feel helpless, scared right there. I'm sure maybe it's not the same procedure for you. You always try to get control of a situation or some things don't start going bad. Maybe I've even seen some cop shows on TV. I don't know. Okay. He's relating himself to the police. Yeah. Like how they try to get them scared when they bring a suspect in. But he's showing, you know, just get them scared right away. Make them feel helpless. Make them get scared. And then he can have better control over them. And telling them, like, this is your profession. Like, what are you getting all excited about? You, this is a risk that you, you deserve this. Yeah, you've agreed to take this risk, basically. Like, you've agreed to get what's coming to you. And because remember, he didn't think you could rape a prostitute. It's just total disregard for human life. One of the attorneys speaks about how he saw Robert transform from the mild baker to the monster that he was. When prosecutors laid out the evidence before him that they had against him, he changed. He says, he was a mild-mannered Bob the Baker, and as I stood looking at him, all of a sudden he transformed. The hair on the back of his neck stood up, and his neck got red, and he was ticked. I can still see him when he got livid like that. You can hear him screaming at his lawyer's He said that Robert didn't see his victims as human. In his mind, they were good girls and bad girls. You know what this makes me think of is that movie Split. Have you seen that one? Of course I've seen that one. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I did not choose it, but I have seen it. And just the way that they transform, and it's actually like a physical transformation when their emotions take them over. Yeah. Well, we know he had these mental health issues, right? Interesting. Robert was quoted saying... Quote, she had to come out and say, we could do it, but it's going to cost you some money. Then she was no longer, I guess what you might call a decent girl. So what if they didn't say that? Well, if they were just going to have sex with him, great. But if they were going to actually be a sex worker and charge him money and say like, okay, it's going to be 200 bucks for oral for sex or whatever. Yeah. Then yeah. Then all of a sudden then he knew for sure she wasn't a decent human being, which is terrible. It's so terrible. So he's holding a gun in their face and then... He waits for them to well, decide. Well, this is probably when he's picking oh, them up, okay. right? You I know, thought we he... were still at the gun no, in the no, face no. stage. Because in his mind, they were rather good girls or bad girls. Right. So if they agreed... Then they were bad girls. ...to the sexual act for money, then yeah, they're automatically a bad girl. Okay. I understand in his now. sick opinion. Judge Moody, concerning this case, said, quote, I cannot think of a bitter indictment of society that we have here. This gentleman has been known to us for several years. We have turned him loose several times. 
He goes on to say that Robert manipulated the system, lied to psychiatrists, lawyers, and probation workers, and counted on his image as a respected businessman to protect him from charges brought over the years by prostitutes who accused him of rape. And then he says his crimes numb the mind. As part of a plea bargain, Robert was only charged with the four of the 17 murders that I mentioned before. So here's where we find out. In exchange, Robert agreed to assist the police in finding the bodies on his map. Sadly, not all of the bodies were found. Police were able to find 12 of the 17 marked bodies. No one will ever know where the others are. And Robert took that information with him to his grave. So they have these marks on the map, but it's still a large area. So they needed Robert's help to actually find the bodies. Another stipulation in Robert's plea deal was that he didn't want to be incarcerated in Alaska for fear that some of the victim's friends or families could be incarcerated there as well and would seek revenge on him. Oh, shouldn't that be more fitting? That's a likely story, but that was part of his plea deal. He also didn't want any publicity in the press. And that really seems to hold true. There's not a whole lot of pictures. There's not a lot of information about his family. So on February 18th, 1984, Robert was charged with the four murders that they had most evidence against him on and he pled guilty. He was officially charged with assault, kidnapping, weapon offenses, theft, and insurance fraud, along with the four murder charges. So let me quickly explain this insurance fraud. He had claimed on his insurance that someone had stolen all his hunting trophies, and he received a payout from the company of $13,000, which he used to purchase the airplane that he flew his victims into the wilderness in. (laughs) Yep. When police searched his property, they found these trophies. He said later that he had found them in his backyard, but forgot to tell the insurance company about it. Oh, yeah. I moved them to the backyard and I forgot about it. Likely story. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So he needed this plane. And how am I going to come up with the extra money? I know. I'll make a false insurance claim. So was the plane like a midlife crisis? I just want a plane. Or was the plane I need a plane to take these women? Oh, it was all for hunting. It was a common thing in Alaska then too, Right. right? Everyone had these mini planes. But I wonder if like it was actually a forethought of if I get a plane, then I can take women and actually hunt them. Probably for both because he still liked to hunt. Yeah. It was probably just dual purpose. I think it was just hunting for him no matter what the subject matter was. So remember I said at the beginning that his sentence was the best part of this whole story? Yes. I remember you wouldn't tell me about it. All right. I'm going to tell you. On February 27th, 1984, Supreme Court Judge Ralph E. Moody sentenced Robert Hansen to... 461 years in prison without the possibility of parole plus a life sentence. So he's never, ever getting out. He never does. Who gets 461 years without the possibility of parole plus a life sentence? How did he even do that? I love it. I don't know, but that's That's like over 100 years per person. Oh, yeah. Well, and there was all the other charges too, right? The weapons charges, kidnapping, insurance fraud, all that kind of stuff. But he was the same judge that I had quoted talking about how we've let this guy loose several times. Like this was kind of thing. Yeah. And so he's making sure that this dirtbag is never getting out again. Oh, good for him. Isn't that the best? I always hate when you hear, you know, like how his first few were. He got out so early or they get... Eight years for killing a woman or a child or whoever. Or they get out on good behavior. The whole reason they're in prison is because they didn't behave appropriately. Yeah. And then because they're being good now, we'll let you out early. Yeah. So I just loved it. I was like, touche, Judge Moody, touche. That is 461 awesome. dang years. That's just crazy. I love it. It's the best thing ever. Yeah, it is pretty awesome. Yeah. Robert was sent to Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. 
1988, he was returned to Alaska and incarcerated for a short time at Lemon Creek Correctional Center in Juneau. His time was cut short there, though, because authorities found an elaborate escape plan in his possession. He was even researching how to make explosives and all that kind of stuff. So he was ready to escape. So then he was then imprisoned at the Spring Creek Correctional Center in Seaward. Then in 2014, on May 11th, Robert was transferred to the Anchorage Correctional Complex because of health reasons and was placed in a medical segregation unit. Robert Hansen died in hospital at approximately 1.30 a.m. at the age of 75 years old on August 21st, 2014, from natural causes. He had been experiencing failing health for about a year prior. The Alaska State Trooper Glenn Floth that we talked about, he said about Robert's death, Good riddance. On this day, we should only remember his many victims and all of their families. And my heart goes out to all of them. As far as Hansen is concerned, this world is better without him. Oh, for sure. One of the case attorneys said, and I think this is the same attorney that talked about how he saw him transform when the police were investigating him. So he said, he will not be missed. Good riddance to him. He's one of those kinds of guys that you hope every breath he takes in his life, there's some pain associated with it because he caused such pain. And because of the publicity protection, there isn't a lot of information on Robert's wife and children, but a quick update is that they try to remain in Alaska after Robert's conviction, but the children were ridiculed and harassed so badly at school that Robert's wife decided to divorce him and to move away from Alaska with their children. Well, good on her for divorcing him, but that's kind of sad for the kids. And they were apparently were totally unaware as to who their husband and father truly was. Well, and they didn't have any say or any control over who their father was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They tricked the police. He had tricked the police and the whole community. How were they supposed to know? But people can be mean and they're looking for someone to blame. It's not right. So right before we end here, I just want to point out two quick facts that make this case significant. First, it is the only known case where victims were flown to a remote area, released, and then hunted down like animals. And second, in 1983, it set a legal precedent where psychological profiling was used as the main basis to obtain a search warrant. So woohoo, criminal profiling and John Douglas. (laughs) Your hero. (laughs) Yes, I love him if you can't tell. And that, my friends, is the horrifying case of the human hunter, often referred to as Bob the Butcher Baker. Dirtbag scum of Alaska. Happy hunting week, everybody. <laughs> yeah, enjoy your hunting season now. And wives, check where your husbands are going while they're out hunting. You need to know. That's right. So thanks for listening and joining us on this crazy story today. And if you're craving more true crime, check out Kim at A Million Other Choices. She's a longtime crime fan, but when tragedy struck her own life, her fandom turned to an obsession. Now she's trying to understand the darkest parts of the human condition in her podcast, A Million Other Choices. She graciously featured our trailer in one of her episodes, and so we wanted to give her a shout out. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Kim. And thanks to all of our listeners. Make sure to search our name, Buried Motives, on Facebook and Instagram to join our pages and join in on the fun. We always want to hear from you. And join us next week when Melissa will have another gripping case. See you next week. Bye. Hello, our future selves. Looking good. I was just going to say that. <laughs> You're looking fine. You just took my breath away. <laughs> I just care about our listeners. <laughs>
The rest can fend for themselves. <laughs> he gets his just comeuppance. I'm <laughs> comeuppance. <laughs> That's a new word I learned that day. <laughs> Ooh, is he good at marzipan? Marzipan? Oh yeah, marzipan. <laughs> he would channel his rage and revengeful. Revengeful. It's not a period. <laughs> or women would get that too. Sorry. Yeah. Sidebar. I'm just going to hold my paper like a dork. And <laughs> you till we're done. Save a tree. Well, yeah. I'll recycle it. <laughs> okay, good. It's only in a cough. Thrill of... I spit while I said that. You're trying to keep it nice. I'm like, well, what did you do? <laughs> bye. Bye, 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 bye. Don't hunt people. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. We all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.